1976 when the Ramones come to town and punk officially lands in Camden, London. The Clash, the Sex Pistols and Chrissy Hind are all in the audience as Iron Lady Margaret Thatcher tightens her grip on a polarised Britain. A grungy alternative scene is fermenting in squat houses and a rebellious disenfranchised youth turns to punk music. Today, the markets and stalls are the main attraction in Camden Town, but look closely and you'll still see the punks. Photographer David Cossini strikes up a friendship which leads to a rather gonzo-esque project, photographing and living with these punks in their squat. His latest work on now focuses on a very punk aesthetic of the mullet haircut at the Ballarat International Photo Biennale. David, welcome to you. Thanks, mate. There are some very specific rules for non-squatters to be able to enter a squat. How did you gain trust to do that work? Uh, Yeah, basically uh, they need rules in this kind of place, otherwise it can be a bit crazy. I mean, it is crazy with the rules. Um, I met a group of people there and I asked if I could come back and check out their living arrangements and see what it's like. I offered them uh, carton of beer. They said, yeah, come along. Uh, one of the girls was having a birthday party that night. I, <clears throat> when I arrived, uh, everyone was pretty welcoming. There was about 25 people there, but there was two guys that had been awake for three or four days on a pretty heavy, uh, drug binge. Um, and one of the guys was pretty paranoid and he, he seemed to think I was an undercover policeman. And <laughs> I said, mate, no, I'm not an undercover policeman. You know, I'm, Aust- I'm from Australia. And he was convinced he'd met Australian police officers in England. So eventually he said to me, he thought I, w- he, I was wired up and he, he wanted to check me for wires. And I said, you know, are you serious? And he said, yeah. Um, I, I said, uh, how do you want me to prove that? He says, get naked. So I seized my opportunity and I called his bluff and I said, okay, I'll get naked. But for the next three weeks that I'm here, I get to take all the photos that I want. And he, he said, yes, he, he thought I wasn't going to do it. And <laughs> yeah, I um, showed a bit of vulnerability. I uh, got naked. And yeah, from, from that point on, all the squatters uh, in the around London and North London uh, uh, heard about this story and all invited me over and I I got got an opportunity to get into a world that not many people get to experience. From your photos, it looks surprisingly spacious and new and bright, sort of like an office building. What was the building like when you get inside? Was it constant chaos and anarchy like uh, I suppose the stereotype would lead you to believe? No, it is is very wild and crazy. Uh, There's no way of... uh, getting a decent sleep because a lot of the, the the people that find themselves in this position as squatters and you're right it is a it's uh, I think for the last 10 years it's only been industrial or commercial buildings that you can squat so when I was there I was squatting a, an old police station a bank uh, and everyone they had this multiple vaults and people were sleeping in the vaults uh, there was an employment, uh, basically like the English version of Centrelink, and uh, there was a building like that, which was over four floors. But yeah, the people that are in there generally have like some mental illness and some addiction problems, and so usually poly addicts, and they can be up for three or four days, and then they basically fall asleep when they can. But by the time they're falling asleep, the other guys are awake in, in mid-party. Um, yeah, it's not a not a peaceful environment, and it's also um it's not very private and at at some point the you know the toilets and bathrooms aren't uh very habitable um (laughs) so yeah it's 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 like a whole nother world but um yeah it's it's their only option uh, these people 
There was one particular punk in the area that is quite well known and you photographed uh, him. Uh, so dedicated is he to the punk aesthetic. He has a tattooed eyeball, a big mohawk, safety pins, tartan, the whole bit. You struck up a bit of a friendship with him and had to stay with him when things got hairy at the first squat. What happened? Oh, yeah. Uh, so the f I was staying in a squat in the Barbican and uh, we had a very nice floor. As far as squats go, it was very peaceful. There was only four of us in the whole of this, uh, I don't know, probably 120 square metres. And so there was an Italian guy called Mirko who he invited some friends over. These guys were some pretty hardcore uh, gangsters. They realised how nice our place was. I went away, uh, I don't know, maybe it would have been nine, nine o'clock in the morning. I come back at about two o'clock that night and the whole... Uh, the whole 120 metres had been filled with stolen gear. These uh, gangsters had moved in. They started dealing hard drugs out of the out of the room uh, for all hours at night. Um, there was like an altercation. Uh, I had to kind of move out of there because they – London's a pretty knifey place. Uh, I think there's like one, one person in London every day is dying to knife crime and because of the danger that these people put themselves in, they, they often are carrying knives even though it takes a – six months if you get caught with a knife six months in jail no argument um yeah so i i was very good friends with zombie punk uh he's very famous he's probably the most photographed man in the whole of britain um because he that's his job he, he gets paid to get photographed uh he's a asylum seeker from brazil yeah he's tattooed over 90 percent of his body even one of his eyeballs is tattooed black uh, he's very famous and I was staying on his couch uh, with him and his uh, boyfriend and an elderly gentleman uh, called John the Hat. I'm curious about how not all squatters are punks and not all punks are squatters. It's sort of, these are intertwined subcultures, but kind of different at the same time, aren't they? Yeah. The probably, the biggest thing they probably have together is an artistic uh, leaning. Most often, musically, uh, they are, there are some talented artists uh, like uh, the painting and sculpture. There's some very talented photographers, but they're not really able to document their own situation because of having their camera stolen all the time. And even if they're squatting, they, they essentially are homeless because you can leave in the morning and you come back and they've been evicted that afternoon. In fact, uh, one Christmas I was there, uh, we got evicted from the squat. Uh, the building was owned by a church and they actually knocked the wall down through the neighbor's basement and kicked everyone out at uh, 11, 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve um, mm. and sent them out onto the chilly, uh, chilly London uh, streets. Is punk culture still what it stood for, this anarchic, rebellious, political sort of lifestyle, or is it more of an aesthetic these days? I think it's more of an aesthetic. Uh, I one of the events <clears throat> through entering this, this this world with these people, I managed to go to a bunch of different events. So I ended up at these kink nightclubs in London. But one of the big events I go to is Rebellion Festival. Uh, it's like the biggest punk uh, festival over in the Northern Hemisphere. And I think when I was there last year, I took uh, maybe something like 600 portraits of uh, different punks. And yeah, it's definitely more an aesthetic. Um, but it's funny because the more it is an aesthetic and they have to pose in order to uh, survive and then the biggest insult they give each other is to call the other one a poser. 
um, and they get very jealous. Uh, Zombie Punk, for example, he's become so famous. I think he's got nearly a million followers on TikTok. He's got about a hundred thousand on on uh, Instagram and other social media. He's got even more, and he has an element of the punks that become very jealous of him and call him fake punk. And yeah, it, it's an interesting interesting dynamic. They don't always get along as well. And there's there's all the sub genres of punk. So they have the you know, your normal punk, they have the crusty punk and which basically is similar to the someone who basically do, doesn't shower. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. You, you, your work really does burrow into these different sub-communities and subcultures and you refer to yourself as an, an immersive artist. I imagine that you're a bit of a chameleon. You're about able to sort of adopt a different light and shade to gain trust. What is the most well, important I suppose, trait as a photographer that you've learned about approaching people with a camera? Well, mate, uh, one of the things most people will assume is that you have to be a chameleon and you change who you are to be in, in different situations. But I've actually found that just being myself and being genuine is actually what works uh, the best because I'm not a punk. I don't listen to punk music. If I was to go there and pretend to have some interest in punk music or pretend I know more about punk than I do, you get caught out very quickly because even if uh, they don't always have the best education uh, opportunities, even if they have some addiction problems, they're very, very smart at uh, reading people because they go into a very dangerous situation. So they need to know very quickly if the people they're, they're talking to, they can trust if this person's gonna be a danger to them. So yeah, I just go there. I be myself. I'm very lucky, uh, very fortunate. I've, I've lived a very interesting life. So um, because of that, they they tend to find me as interesting as I find them. And it's just I'm very open and honest with them too. I have some friends, and they go to a few of these things, and they'll sit down with their camera and try to uh, I don't know try to build a rapport with people. But I go there straight from the word go. I pull the camera out. I say, this is what I am. This is what I do. This is where the photos are going to be. Let me know if you've got any problems. Let's just go from here. And you, you develop a more honest, uh, it's a, a more honest, deeper friendship a lot quicker than if you try to force a friendship on people. Photographer David Cossini is with me on RN Drive. We're talking about his new exhibition. In fact, Business in the Front, Party at the Back, I love that title, is an exhibition of photographs taken at a series of mullet fests, of course, in reference to the rather iconic uh, hairdo. Tell me about this community. Did you notice any differences within this community? Is there subcultures within subcultures like the punks? Well, no, I think there's uh, a little bit less. So basically these are just all sold to the earth Aussies, um, people that work hard, they party hard, they don't take themselves seriously, they have a good self-depreciating sense of humour. They often identify as a bogan. Uh, they're very quite proud of this. They um, really uh, take on all the characteristics, the mullet haircut, the VB tattoos, they drink just VB, they have... Uh, fast cars, V8s, uh, they like. Um, so it started out at Mullet Fest at um, Curry Curry near where I live. But I travel around to all these different festivals around Australia. So you've got the Elvis, uh, Parks Elvis Festival, the Broken Hill Festival, you've got Summernats down in Canberra, Tamworth Country Music Festival. And you run into these characters because there's a lot of uh, people that identify as Bogan, um, these salt of the earth Aussies that go to 
a lot of these events and they're very nice people, easy to talk to. Um, some of them can, uh, if you don't spend time with them, they, they can probably look intimidating or a bit rough around the edges, but just real good, genuine people and easy to get along with, very welcoming and surprisingly very, very happy to see their photos uh, published. <laughs> You've also got a documentary in the Biennale, Grande Bruto, which follows your father, Leo, and his friend, Glenn. Did you find yourself applying the lessons about observing your subject and very personal subject, that of your father and his, his friend, when you sort of gleaned those skills off these other subcultures? Because turning the camera onto people you know and love is a slightly different set of circumstances. Well, mate, the, ca the camera actually became something I was hiding behind on that on that project because it was very personal. I mean, all, all the projects I do are personal. I never take on a long-term project where I can't be immersed in the thing and become very good friends with the people and I make myself very available to these people, uh, uh, open, open myself uh, emotionally and be very vulnerable. Um, but with the project on dad it's yeah, very close to home and there's there's a long story there um i hadn't spoke to my father for about uh 20 years he left he he my mum gave him an ultimatum when i was about 13 or 14 and she, she basically said listen choose me and the kids or choose the alcohol he chose the alcohol uh, unabashedly and he left and like i said i didn't speak to him for about 20 years but then i was spending time overseas and with people that were homeless or very close to homeless and I realized two things. One, I was showing them more compassion than I was showing my own father because none of us are perfect. We're all complex human beings and we shouldn't expect other people to be perfect because we aren't ourselves. So we need to have less judgment around the world and have more compassion. The, the second thing was the people that found themselves in this situation overseas where they were homeless, what I learned was they'd got to this point where for whatever reason, they didn't even have one person that loved them or cared about them enough to keep them off the streets. That's all you need to, to not be homeless in the world. You just need one person that often has to sacrifice and have some kind of, um, you know, deep patience, but they can manage you and help you and, and spend a lot of their energy on you. So I came back, I created this um, relationship with my father again, and it was very awkward and, and hard at first, but I, I would hide behind the camera and you know at times i'd feel sorry for him i remember he was 72 and i helped him when i first come back he was uh in a mental hospital and he had this nervous breakdown i went over to his place I would, the sheriffs were trying to evict him while he was in there i had to negotiate with them to let me clean everything up uh, put him in this new place and he turned around at 72 and he said to me he said i've never had a friend how you've mm. been with me this week i've never had a friend and i thought how do you get to 72 and never have that kind of friendship and I started to learn a lot about my father and uh, it really helped. It really helped me to um, be the photographer I am today and to be around these other people and how to deal with a lot of situations. But I also think uh, all my life experience up until that point really helped. Yeah, and what a, an amazing and cathartic way to process that estrangement to take along your camera in these moments. David, I'm a big fan of your work and all the more uh, enriching is it to get to know you and understand the process behind your work. David Cossini's exhibition, Business in the Front, Party in the Back, will be uh, at the Ballarat International Photo Biennale from the 26th of August to the 22nd of October. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.